Welcome. I think all the actual chairs are taken, but you're most welcome to sit on the floor. And thank you very much indeed for coming to this, uh, this particular component of the difficulties of uh, facing climate change, which is the psychological components, whether it's the psychological effects of climate change or psychological factors that uh, make it more difficult for us to deal with climate change, and also the psychological impacts of those of us who are working with climate change and reading about it, and at times feel the despair which uh, Fiona Godley spoke of right in her opening presentation, as well as the work we need to do uh, to find hope in these difficult times. So we're going to look at three particular threads. We're not covering every single thread we can. Um, and I'm delighted that uh, we have three very good speakers. And we're going to start with Lisa Page's presentation on the impacts of heat on mental health. Lisa's a consultant liaison psychiatrist in Brighton and an honorary senior lecturer at Brighton and Sussex Medical School. And she has a long-standing interest in public health and has completed a master's in public health and the environment. And that was where her interest in climate change grew. Over to you, Lisa. Thank you very much, Judith, for that warm welcome. Um, and uh, it's very nice to see so much interest in this, um, in this particular um, workshop this afternoon. Um, let me see if I can get the computer going a bit. OK, so um, as stated, I'm a consultant psychiatrist, so uh, my interest is in people primarily who have uh, mental disorders, mental illnesses, and that's sort of the direction that my <coughs> talk is coming from. So today I'm going to talk through a bit about, uh, well, set the scene hopefully, or add to the setting of scene that we've already had, thinking through about the implications for health generally of climate change, and then how we might use um, existing frameworks to think about how that might apply to mental health. Um, I'm going to talk through some of the, the uh, mechanisms by way by how that might happen. A little focus on some particular research to show that it is possible to do uh, epidemiological research in this area and then draw things together. I'm going to talk less about um, the psychological effects of climate change on the general population. That's going to come a bit later, I think, in the workshop. So, um, I wasn't able to be here this morning for the initial sessions, but it sounds like the scene setting this morning was, was quite alarming and quite um, difficult listening. And of course, most of you here will be very familiar with um, this IPCC report, which I think um, I, I find very useful for giving a, a rational, evidence-based <coughs> idea of what we're up against. Um, so... Um, <coughs> This is a consensus document. It's uh, very well worked through, very robust methodology. It's had to defend itself very rigorously. So I think we can have quite a bit of confidence in what it is saying. And just to set the scene, I'm sure these and similar and better graphs were probably aired this morning, but if we uh, think about what the IPC predictions actually mean, um, for example, we've got what is going to happen with um, surface temperature up there on the top left. And we can see that depending on which um, scenario one wants to follow, 
the red line being what would happen to global temperatures if there is no, um, no attempts to manage greenhouse gases at all, the blue line representing sort of best case scenario if there's rigorous mitigation of greenhouse gases. We can see that from by the time we reach 2050, there's quite a big divergence there. And I, my guess is most likely we'll be somewhere in the middle there, which means that we're looking at potentially considerable surface change and we need to be planning and thinking through what that might mean. Likewise, the graph below is showing what could happen with global sea levels. Again, red line, worst case scenario. Blue line, probably best case scenario. And again, we can see by 2050, um, even with best case scenario, there's a considerable rise. And then these nice um, global maps here on the right um, show what happens in terms of average surface temperature, uh, change in precipitation, so rain events, and flood events potentially, and change in sea level. Best case scenario on the left-hand side, worst case scenario presented very graphically on the, the left of those global maps. Um, and one can see that if we are heading for a worst case scenario, we're going to have a very hot world to be dealing with. We're going to have a lot of precipitation events, a lot of potential for flooding, um, and other consequences of rapid rainfall. And we're almost certainly going to have some sea level rises, which impacts on a lot of um, the large coastal megacities around the world. So that's the, the sort of backdrop to all of this. Um, but how might that be related to mental health? Well, um, again, looking at the IPCC's sort of summary predictions, they're already able to say with high confidence that there are already extreme events such as heat waves, heavy precipitation, coastal flooding that are already happening. And even with a one degree rise, that is, there's, a, uh, um, there's a medium confidence that that's going to be considerable. And also, I think this is quite important, and you all know this, that the risks are generally greater for disadvantaged communities and people um, around the world. And for me, that will always be people with mental health problems. They're already disadvantaged, particularly if they're living in uh, insecure places around the world. So, um, so that's where my interest is peaked. So how does mental health fit in? How might we think about this? Well, we know that for health generally, it's been quite productive to think about the direct effects of climate change on health and the indirect uh, effects of climate change on health. And I think we can use a similar sort of framework for thinking about mental health. So that's what I'm going to sort of take you through over the next few minutes. So if we start with the direct effects of mental health, so I've got a few points here I'm going to cover. So uh, we're looking at the increased prevalence of mental disorder after natural disaster, what that might mean for people who already have established mental illness or severe mental disorder. Um, I'm going to take you through a bit of um, research on the effects of heat, heat on the mental health and mental illness, um, and then think about some other issues just towards the end. And then after that, we'll think about indirect effects. So. Starting with natural disasters, now we know from the predictions that we are going to see an increase in the number and severity of natural disasters, in, when I'm thinking here of hurricanes, um, cyclones, flood events in the main, and um, that, I believe there's already evidence that that is happening, and there's certainly predictions that that is going to um, hasten as climate change, um, if, you know, becomes more, begins to bite more. And we've got some, we, we already know quite a bit what, about what happens to people in the aftermath of 
um, natural disaster. So natural disasters have been studied, um, some of them related to you know, what we might think of climate events and some of, them, some of them not, but I think the general lessons are important. So some that have happened since the turn of the um, century include Hurricane Katrina in a, in a developed country, and we know there's a fair bit of work done after that to show what the mental health effects of that were on the population. And then, of course, we've got big events like the tsunami, not climate-related, but, um, but nonetheless studied, and we've got evidence from that. So we can look to these, um, the, this work and the systematic review work around this to, um, to inform us as to what we could expect <coughs> if we're going to see more in the way of natural disasters. And as you probably would predict, we are able to see an increase in common mental disorders, such as anxiety and depression in the aftermath of natural disasters. We do see increases in PTSD as well, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I suppose is sort of axiomatic, really. Um, but other markers of psychological distress also increase, so maybe sub-syndromal levels of mental illness, mental health disorders, um, increases in substance misuse, for example. So the effects are quite broad and not just limited to PTSD. Um, uh, something that interests me is what happens to people who already are suffering from mental illness who happen to get in the way of a natural disaster and we know their outcomes are poorer. These are people who are already vulnerable, they have a less resilience to um, a large event of this sort happening in their community and unless planning um, involves their needs then like people with very significant physical illness or disability or mobility problems they will suffer more and have high levels of morbidity and mortality in the aftermath of a natural disaster. So a plea to always remember those folk, if you're involved in um, uh, you know, disaster preparedness, think about those people with mental illness who maybe are living alone, reliant on medication, reliant on carers, uh, reliant on mental health services, um, which may disappear in the aftermath of a disaster. So I'm gonna move on and think a bit about heat. Um, so this is a particular interest of mine, and um, I'm going to talk through a bit about what some of the research looks like, so there may be, well be people in the audience who know um, a lot about this, um, so apologies if I'm sort of um, talking, talking to you about something you're already very familiar with. So I just want to show you a typical hockey stick graph, so this you'll see quite a lot in the, the heat and health literature, not, not just around mental health, and what it's showing is uh, a risk up on the y-axis up here, and the x-axis is showing uh, t a temperature measurement of some sort. So in this graph, we've got mean temperature along the x-axis, relative risk um, going up the y. And what you'll see is this, what's called a hockey stick graph. And th what this is showing, so this is a graph that is looking at people who have uh, established mental illness and then mortality across the temperature spectrum. So this is a large... Um, uh, primary care population database, that's where, the, that's where the information on the patients come from, um, and the, uh, these are people who have diagnoses of psychosis, significant substance misuse and dementia, so chronic, important, major mental health problems. And if we put all of those people together and look at what happens across the temperature gradient, you can see that things um, are more or less around the one mark until one gets to about 20 degrees. And then once the mean daily temperature goes above 20 degrees, so this is a time series, so it's looking at what happens on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of mortality amongst this group, one can see that this starts to kick up very, very steeply. And what that is saying is that the, um, the uh, proportion of people with um, 
mental illness who die in those, at those times when temperature is high is, um, is high, and it's about 5% increase in mortality for every one degree that you go above around the 20 degree mark. And that's, um, that's uh, considerably higher than estimates for the, or, you know, for, for um, the general population. So we know that these people are particularly vulnerable when it gets to hot temperatures. So this is data from England. But we can look around the world. This is a recent article from Vietnam, and it's really nice to see um, research being done in uh, low- and middle-income countries on this. So here, they were looking at something different. They were looking at hospital admissions for people with mental disorder in a hospital in, or in a system across um, northern Vietnam. And um, they were able to show that, yes, indeed, there is an increase in hospital admission um, during heat wave events. And they were able to show that the longer the heat wave the more impact that had on admission. So it's showing that people with significant mental health problems, and they, they, they include people with learning disability, dementia, and the major sort of psychotic illnesses, that um, those people are particularly vulnerable to a deterioration in their mental health and then a hospital admission because of that during periods of hot weather. Um, and particularly, they found that uh, patients in rural areas there um, and the elderly were, were particularly at risk. So that's um, that's an example of research going on in the um, in a developing in a low middle income country, which is good to see. If we travel around the world a bit more, so this is an, a slightly older study from Australia, looking at um, what happened in Adelaide, and they had good data on hospital admissions, and they noted that when they were looking at hospital admissions generally across all health domains, that people with mental disorder seemed to be admitted. Um, in disproportionately to people with physical disorder during periods of hot weather. So this was some follow-up research they did. Again, you'll see this, the so-called hockey stick plot. So here you've got um, temperature variable along the x-axis <coughs> and um, the numbers of people admitted per day on that um, y-axis. And you can see it, it sort of bubbles around um, at a fairly stable moving level up until temperature gets above about 30. Remember, this is different climate to ours, so people are adapted to higher temperatures there, but um, <coughs> there will be a threshold above which um, they are not adapted to during heat wave events in particular or hot periods during their summer. And this is where you start to see um, this is where you start to see the um, number of hospital admissions climbing. And that probably is a, uh, represents about a, a seven and a half percent increase in hospital admissions for mental disorder over, um, you know, once the temperature gets above, the, the maximum temperature gets above about sort of 32, 33, something like that. Um, so this is a large data set, 13 years worth of data, so it's a fairly, fairly robust finding. Um, so this is another... So, so is that in Fahrenheit? Centigrade. Centigrade. But it's a maximum temperature, not a mean, so that's why it's slightly different calibration. Um, so we've seen that um, more general all-cause mortality amongst people with serious mental illness increases at high temperature. We can see that it's looking as if hospital admissions increase even in different uh, temperature zones uh, when temperatures get high. Um, and this is um, some other data looking at suicide in particular as a cause of death. And this is England and Wales data over a 13-year period. And what you're seeing here, again, this is a hockey stick graph. And what you're seeing is that above about 20 degrees, um, um, the, um, uh, uh, there's a considerably, uh, there starts to become a rise in the number of people dying by suicide 
um, at these high temperatures. Um, and that represents around about a 4% increase in suicide per one degree increase in temperature. So these are small effects um, across a large population, so that the effects that are small on an individual basis but across a population are considerable. And the only way you would ever know this is if you do fairly sort of um, use fairly large data sets and use fairly long time periods to look at it. But I think it's a, it, I think it's a useful um, exercise to look at how heat is impacting on people with mental health problems. Mental health problems, or uh, not a general mortality that increases in hospital So general mortality does increase. Yeah. Um, so so if you do so, you know there's plenty of research looking at general mortality across the population at high temperature, and, and you see a similar similar shaped graph, but it's steeper for people with mental illness at this stage. Okay. In people with mental illness, yeah. well, there's probably a, a, a whole host of reasons. So one will be uh, physical comorbidity because their general health is uh, poorer than the next person in the population. Some of it may be um, social factors to do with inadequate housing and inadequate um, support systems around them. Um, some of it will be maladaptive behaviour, so uh, not using cooling techniques, not drinking enough, when, um, when it should be triggered, and some of it may be um, to do with medication that people are taking that is particularly um, particularly difficult when temperatures get high. So particularly <coughs> hypnotic medication, antipsychotic medication are the, are the ones that um, seem to have an effect. Um, okay, I'm going to move on. Um, just to mention that another prediction, fairly robust prediction, is that infectious disease outbreaks are going to increase. Um, particularly dengue, tick-borne encephalitis, and a couple of malaria, for example, the distribution is going to change. And again, we know from other research on all sorts of different infectious diseases that uh, that the long-term impacts of infectious disease, um, other than obviously the, the mortality at the time and disability that might come from that, but the mental health impacts of infectious disease outbreaks are very considerable, and we only have to look to Ebola, which is not linked to climate change necessarily, but um, shows the um, impact that these sorts of outbreaks can have on, on populations. Um, and finally, I think we always have to bear in mind, are there some effects that might be beneficial? And the answer is yes, there might well be some effects that are beneficial. And we've got to be honest and try and establish what those could be and see what the offset is going to be. I can't think of any direct effects that could be beneficial at the moment. But we've got to bear it in mind. We've got to be, we've got to be honest. We've got to be robust, I think. Right. Um, so I'm going to move on and briefly mention the indirect effects of climate change on mental health. And I think these potentially have um, a, a bigger role to play, but they're more difficult to quantify at the moment and more speculative, I think, but very, very important. So there's increasing evidence that we're going to see more mass migration as climate change begins to bite and more conflicts. And there's some, some research to show that's already happening, I believe. And we know, I don't need to stand here and tell you, that both of those, um, both of those um, uh, types of processes, mass migration and conflict, um, one of the major fallouts of that is an impact on mental health and an increase in the incidence. 
and severity of mental health problems. So if we're going to have more of those things, we're going to have more mental health problems to deal with. Um, another, another effect of climate change seems to be urbanisation, so people driven from the land to urban centres, and particularly that's predicted to happen in low and middle income countries over the next few decades. It's already happening, but it's probably going to be accelerated. And that potentially does have some advantages for people's mental health in that it may bring them into um, nearer contact with mental health services if there are such services in an urban setting. Um, but um, there's other evidence that would suggest that the process of urbanisation itself is a, a probably harmful for uh, you know, on a population level. So mixed evidence, but certainly some evidence from the states that instance of schizophrenia is higher in urbanised areas and when people move into urban areas, and there's some other evidence from uh, India and elsewhere that, that uh, mental health problems actually increase when uh, communities move into an urban environment. Um, I, at the moment, mental health is not prioritised even in our developed country. We have very poor funding of that. That's um, even more the case in um, most other um, developing or low and middle income settings. Um, and uh, I think it's, as other impacts of climate change become um, evident and money starts to get spent to try and mitigate and, and work around that, um, I would worry that um, spending on mental health might be jeopardised, so um, it needs to stay there. It needs to be. Um, it needs to be in the mix to be considered. I think. And finally, I'm just going to mention this term, which probably many of you are aware of, of sonostalgia. I'm not going to talk much about it because because I don't think I'm the expert here on that. But that's this idea of there being um, a sorrow, a loss, a longing for um, uh, environmental conditions that have been lost. So um, as climate change begins to develop and bite. Um, some writers have been talking about this and, and thinking this is going to become a problem for, for many of us. And the area where it's been looked at a little bit is in the South Pacific. So some, some researchers have been out in those very low-lying South Pacific islands interviewing people and talking to people about this, this concept, this notion. So that's, that's a term to keep, keep an eye on, I think. So I'm going to come to, I'm going to summarise and come to an end. I've talked to you a bit about um, my take on how climate change may impact on people with uh, mental health problems. I'm particularly interested in, tho in those who already have mental health problems and what can happen to them if they're not remembered and prioritised. Um, I've shown you a little bit of research around how heat may impact on mental health, morbidity and mortality, um, and um, the degree that services are used. And I hope that's shown you that it is possible to do research in this area and, you know, a robust epidemiological research in this area. Um, and I'd encourage people who are interested in this to, to, you know, to keep that on their, you know, agenda in whichever area they're working in. You've got to uh, always consider mental health. So it sits alongside, not underneath, physical health. And we could think, use similar frameworks that are used in physical health for mental health. So thinking about indirect effects and direct effects. So hopefully that's given you a bit of a taster for the talks to come. I'm going to finish up there. That's the end of my talk. And um, uh, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>